probably there will be a lot of drop in usage for a lot of these products if they're not very deeply embedded um, into the workflow. Welcome to the Hyper Engage podcast. We are so happy to have you along our journey. Here, we uncover bits of knowledge from some of the greatest minds in tech. We unearth the hows, whys, and whats that drive the tech of today. Welcome to the movement. Hey, greetings, everybody. This is uh, Adil from Hyper Engage podcast. I have my co-host, Taylor Kennerson, joined from New Jersey. And a very, very special guest, David. He's a CEO of co-founder and co-founder at TypeWise, the very emerging AI-based uh, writing platform for customer service and uh, you know, engagements teams. I uh, would, would today uh, learn more about how does that work. Thank you very much, David, for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Love that. So you you guys started up back in 2020. Uh, I'm sure that you later on went into the Y Combinator and you know you had your you know, great journey there as well. With a lot of partners, strategic partners there. So, if we just scroll back a little, how initially did you guys found the initial team, uh, especially on the tech side, uh, the technical team, the technical co-founding team, uh, alongside uh, yourself? How was that initial journey, and how did you navigate this, uh, you know, addressable market for such platform as Tapwise? Absolutely. I mean, my my co my co founder he was a a head of data science at our like national broadcaster um I'm, I'm SRF here in Switzerland, and he was like during a longer sabbatical he he started playing around with uh, with language models and 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 built like the first let's say iteration of our um, predictive text engine. Um, we used that first on like mobile devices. And so we benchmarked against, you know, a Google keyboard and Apple keyboard and uh, um, which was like the benchmark back then. Um, not that many years ago, but still <laughs> uh, things have moved very quickly. And uh, we got very good results sometimes even now performing, um, you know, Apple's like um, uh, like word predictions. And so with that um, in the pocket, we then um, applied for a government grant um, here in Switzerland um, jointly with um, the uh, Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, which is, you know, the kind of the Europe's equivalent to the MIT um team that we we approached was led by a former Google uh, director of engineering um professor and he then supervised the research and under his kind of let's say academic leadership we then started building a team um and with also his name we were able to attract great talent um across Europe and started building our AI uh research and development team um, that way and I think that has really helped us both getting initial funding to work on longer term R&D um, efforts, uh, which then obviously paid off later on, um, but required some initial um, invest and also getting getting the people, you know, on board like a, a no name um, startup, which is two, <laughs> two weird guys, you know. Can you can you unpack that a little bit because you really took a unique approach into how you came to fruition with an actual product and like giving it to your market. You kind of took more of a research and development. And can you walk us through the thinking behind that strategy and kind of how that 
allowed you, just like you said, to bring on these unique personalities where you might have not had that opportunity given you were just like a startup coming like everyone else into the into the market? I mean, we already had a a product, we, which was a consumer product. Um, and so that, I think, helped even getting the grant because we were able to show, hey, we already have something and it's a real product. And I think that also got the professor excited, knowing that the R&D would be like we could actually test it with real users. Um, so we already had that consumer app. Um, but then actually, so the story was like consumer app. We then started developing AI within the consumer app. And then we we, we realized actually that AI would be put to better use um, in a um, like in, in enterprise software. And so we pivoted towards enterprise software. Um, and then that story got us into YC. And then uh, we we really started accelerating um, on, on that track. So it was like a, like a three-step, <laughs> like a three-step <laughs> journey. journey. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Talk to us a little bit about that fork in the road, almost where you pivoted into enterprise, and then how that actually led you into YC. And walk us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, so I think we with with that consumer keyboard app, very like very early on, it was clear that we need to monetize the technology in some sort of b2b setting even like our, our pre-seed investors they only came on board because of that kind of vision but it was very unclear what like what be, what we would sell to whom we would sell uh, that that was absolutely not clear and i think if i look back at our first Thoughts. We had to write some business plan, which is still, I think, common here in Switzerland. If you want to get like um, investors, you need to write this 50 page plan. And I think it was totally like, yeah, um, it turned out very differently, I would say. And so the first idea we had was to license the technology to other software companies and saying, hey, we have this AI and we then built an API out of it. Um, and like, like everywhere where you would write a lot. Um, but that turned out to be very difficult because, I mean, yeah, you have to fit onto a roadmap. Um, then it's a question, how much can you even charge? Because it's more like then a feature as part of a huge system. Um, and that didn't really um, seem like it didn't really gain traction. Um, and so we then had the idea of building our own product on top of the API. And um, there we then approached, um, th that was in summer, to releasing our, our consumer um, um, app. And we tried out different segments. And I think customer service was one of that. And trying out meant just sending like like a couple hundred emails, um, seeing how many calls you get, taking those calls, kind of pitching, but just getting advice and said, hey, if we had this product, you know, and it worked that and that way, what would you say? And quickly turned out that customer service definitely had the need for efficiency and quality, that um, there was a lot of customer service um, teams. I mean, every every like enterprise has one. Yeah. And um, that they mostly used web-based applications. So with a browser extension, we could very easily fit in. And there was no huge IT integration required, which 
with an API, it's very different, right? If you want to sell this to, yes. I don't know, like Zendesk, they would make to make this huge evaluation and you would, then they have a roadmap of 5,000 things they want to do. And maybe, yeah, you get dropped again and it's, it's, it's super hard. And so it, and now looking back, I mean, <laughs> Probably it's good we didn't go that route because now there's a huge, <laughs> it's, yeah, I think building your text prediction API today, it's probably not a good idea. And and so having a, 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 a full feature, like fully fledged product, I, I think that's a, like the differentiation. Um, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it becomes so complicated, as you mentioned, uh, to have native API education. I'm sure you have your SDK on rapid API uh, built as well. So, uh, you know, these B2B customers of yours, they can definitely use that SDK and integrate across their processes for their mailing system. I've seen, uh, I'm sure you are very familiar with ChatGPT that's been open source a few weeks back and now, uh, softwares like big CRMs like HubSpot, they're trying to build their own software on top of it, you know, using their models and intersecting it with their existing database that they have trained. Uh, I was listening to Dermesh, the CTO of uh, HubSpot. They've built their own sort of uh, CRM that, that people can use, their own customers can use for sales, for marketing and all of that. So how do you see yourself as a business emerging uh, with, with ChatGPT being open source a few weeks back? What kind of iterations are you going to be making? Because that's a massive infrastructure that they have trained and it's it's always better to not reinvent the wheel and use uh these these existing models that have been open source so are you guys thinking of doing anything such like that's one and second uh you know talking about customer service and sales and engagements like of course it becomes very very critical when when it comes to talking to the customer you need to make sure you're using the right phrases right to Tell us a bit about how efficient type-wise it. Number one, without ChatGPT integration, as of now, you have, you're using the OpenAI 3, like GPT-3 model, previous version. Now it's going to be ChatGPT. That's, then it's going to be another update, GPT-4, that's coming up. So that's going to be trillions of uh, data points that they have trained. So how do you see it as an industry evolving in the, in the natural uh, language process? And how do you think you can apply all of this towards your work workflows to make it a better, whole lot better product experience well. Absolutely. So uh, like, it's almost about the user, the user experience or like the user, the user flow or like the workflow, how you integrate into the workflow of like, for example, like a customer service agent or, or like a sales um, representative. And a lot of let's say more generic consumer you know focused applications have the disadvantage that they're not really embedded into the workflow like if you were just to use that interface to to generate your sales messages which you could do today um you have to go to another window you have to copy paste um and then you know if it, if you just have to answer like a three sentence email Maybe you do that for the first couple ones, but if you have to answer a hundred emails, are you going to really do that for every single email? So um, probably there will be a lot of um, drop in 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 usage for a lot of these products if they're not very deeply embedded um, into the workflow. Um, then you have obviously usage restrictions at large companies, um, data privacy, and so forth. Um, now. 
the second let's say group would be yeah like a hubspot offering this directly to their customers so they would be able to in like integrate it into the workflow very, like very well i think we couldn't do it better um from a technical point of view we could do it better because maybe we're more focused um and we see also clients from different crms and uh we really only work in customer service and hubspot has to do customer service sales marketing newsletter so probably also their gpt integration at least in the first iteration will will be much more generic um across their different crm modules and we're really going into email writing and like chat writing only. And so that's already more, more tailored. Um, now, there are two, I would say two, three big, like you can do differently that a large, um, like, like a, let's, let's say a large CRM company, I mean, in this case, maybe struggles. Um, number one is certain so today was a TechCrunch article um about microsoft um like launching some features in in dynamics yeah so similar case mm -hmm. and one discussion topic there was okay if micro like if dynamics pre-writes an email for you how much time are you going to spend to review that email so are you as a as a service rep even faster um, clicking the generate button, which is great. And you get this super cool email, but if like one or two words are even wrong, um, that could make you, that could make all the difference. Yeah. Uh, does it apply you to credit or it doesn't? Um, and, and so you have to carefully actually review it. At least that's how it works today. Yeah. Maybe, Absolutely. maybe those issues can be resolved, but, um, and so we take the approach of going a bit the other way. We're saying right now, um, we're giving you like sentence suggestions or paragraph suggestions and, and you go kind of one by one. So you're not with a single click building the entire email, but you're building it maybe with 10 clicks. Um, mm -hmm. There we actually see time savings of um, like 30% plus. Um, and that's mm -hmm. already substantial but it actually works. I was going to say, absolutely. I was going to say like when people talk about integrating the AI, it's like, oh, efficiency, efficiency, but people forget like, yeah, you got to copy and paste it into the chat GPT. It's providing this great, you know, piece of content, but then how long are you actually spending to review it? And is there's that a cost to it. Yes. Account, right? no, there's a cost to it. You have to spend more time to get that efficiency. Maybe you have to go fetch it from ChatGPT, maybe uh, fetch it from, you know, there are tools like Jasper, Writer AI. Those are tools that you can use uh, across your marketing or sales operations. But again, uh, you know, you got to you gotta make sure you find the tools that work inside your uh, environments, inside your, let's say, work uh, inside your CRM. Let's say, it's, let's talk about Salesforce for sales. So they want integrations inside Salesforce where they can have all of those custom objects all of those customization and side sales for today that's their source of truth so I'm, I'm i think this is what you're trying to refer yeah and so our our stack is that we have both and I, I think that's that's to your question what you know what about the future and uh does it make sense to have your own mm -hmm. tech versus just leveraging what's out there um there is for us there is value in part like in parts having our own um like predictive models in having our own correction models why 
because we can apply them real time. So when you type one character, we can update the prediction in real time. We can, and so there's, if you write a message with uh, 80 words, that's 400 characters, we make 400 calculations for that message. Using GPT would be slower, it would be more costly. So I think for this, let's say problem of like real time updating as you're typing, I think GPT is an overkill and actually wouldn't mm -hmm. work well. Um, mm -hmm. It works well though, to generate an entire message to maybe say, please shorten this message or please um, maybe rephrase the message so it better reflects the sentiment of my customer. And so that's something we will, I mean, we're also leveraging um, GPT exactly for mm -hmm. that type of problem. So I think we, we're, we're, right. we're saying GPT is not the, the, the thing that does 100%, uh, but it, 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 you have to use different, um, different technologies mm -hmm. For, for kind of different problems um, as part of the pictures. Sometimes they even use templates that the client can just predefine because they have a communications department that once you know, certain things are mandated, this is how, this is our boilerplate. We don't want anyone to mm -hmm. rephrase this boilerplate. This is approved. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> um, yes. Or some legal <laughs> statements, you cannot rephrase this. It's, it, you know, you would, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it would be no, no longer valid. And so mm -hmm. I think there's a combination of using different technologies um, to like complete the picture. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's that's where a lot of value comes in. And that's maybe also like then the, then the third and last point, what I think is is an advantage is that, I mean, that's why we also focus on, on like large, let's say larger enterprises as clients, because they often have very specific requirements. We only want sentences to be um, 15 words or less. Mm -hmm. It will be very hard for like a HubSpot to then start offering all these customization options as mm -hmm. part of their feature. You, you maybe mm -hmm. have to like retrain, like kind of reconfigure the grammar correction and say, hey, you have to, for this client, they want this, for that client, they want that. And mm -hmm. then, of course, it, because we go after larger companies, they can pay the premium that requires that, you know, to to kind of build that um, configuration. But that I really believe then like gives us a, also like a longer term um, advantage mm -hmm. uh, or like differentiation of why the enterprise would take a type wise solution um, and not just take the built in um mm -hmm. feature i mean even if you look at like outlook they had they have been having auto correct and grammar check forever but you cannot mm -hmm. configure anything as a company it's just mm -hmm. out of the box standard mm -hmm. english what if i um mm -hmm. i don't know i want to be funny or formal mm -hmm. or whatever i cannot change this um <laughs> and so yeah. that's why grammarly also succeeded right because mm -hmm. that was possible with them and so i think we're it, it, yeah. it's a very similar strategy yeah Mm -hmm. So, David, I would love for you to, you know, explore this on this moment, uh, right at this moment, uh, touch uh, on the SMB side. You talked about enterprise. This can uh, be a big use case for support service and sales team at enter serving enterprise segment. Talking about SMB segment, we, we have we have heard this a lot because we have CS teams from all range of different uh, technologies, regions and all. So the newer the newer emerging norm is to do more with less make sure you have you 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 are absolutely taking care of your bandwidth 
and you're not increasing uh, the technology or tech stack, but at the same time, you are trying to optimize your time so you can have like one person serving like 30 accounts, 40 accounts on the service and the success and the sales. So from that standpoint, how do you think this uh, platform like TypeWise can come into play? Uh, because there are loads of platforms uh, in your industry uh, competing you, they are more targeted towards serving the SMB model, like SMB segment. Uh, companies that are more self-served, they have like hybrid sort of touch and, and they're using technologies like these. Yeah, I think for us, that, that that's not the strategy at the moment. I think we're really going after, after larger accounts. Um, I think, yeah, if if you serve SMBs, you have to automate everything from, from the start. For example, with, with the browser extension is that you have to support so many different web pages that in the end, it's like you integrate into like a text editor, which is the field where you're like writing the message. And there are about 10 text editors and there, and there are different versions of those. And um, if you're a small team to, to I mean, even Grammarly, <laughs> And that's a that's a decacorn. They they have a lot of bugs. You can test them on like MS Teams web like web version, and it's buggy. And that 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 just shows building mm -hmm. a browser extension that integrates into your text editing and making that available for 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 all sorts of like CRMs. I think that's that's quite a big task, and and that's why we said look. Mm -hmm. We need a customer to pay a reasonable amount of money that we can even um, ensure that compatibility. And that's why we go after larger companies. I think if you want to do SMBs, and for example, one of our, um, um, one, one, there's a new YC company. Um, he was previously the founder of, uh, co-founder of SocialCam. Um, he now launched... Um, a, a, a SMB targeted, but only on, um, on a Shopify. So he says, Shopify I'm limiting myself to one platform and there I do mm -hmm. SMBs, um, customer. That's what support. I was thinking. Yes. That's what, and what that I was would, thinking. That's what you have to do. And on the enterprise, you can't really, because then your market is like, then it gets a bit hard. If you say, I, at least at the beginning, if I only do, Zendesk clients, large companies, and I in enterprise, we found it makes more sense to limit in geography and by industry rather than like mm -hmm. by by CRM. Um, mm -hmm. But the SMB approach, I think, should be then you you really do one plugin for like one system and uh, try to scale in there. Yeah, yeah, just like a lot of uh, you know data integrations platform, data analytics platforms, they're using Salesforce, they're using Segment, they're using one by one. Like it takes them like three, four years to you know add integrations like uh, on top of the existing mm -hmm. set. So I mean that that definitely makes sense. So in terms of market positioning, uh, David, uh, you got quite a bit of uh, traction out in the in the states. So how are you trying to on the commercial side? How are you you guys trying to penetrate and expand from this point on? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, the, we're predominantly Europe-based um, at the moment, um, although we're like a U.S. company. But I mean, we were we were born in Europe, and so our strategy is to rather expand quickly in the German-speaking with you know like a more limited team. And then um, once everything, like let's say, once all the onboarding processes are really uh, working smoothly, 
um, and and we know we can very quickly add 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 new companies. Um, then I think um, that we can we can double down on the U.S. market. And I I like what I wouldn't do is focus too long on on Europe because it's quite fragmented. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to go country by country, even for large fortune 500 companies, they usually make different decisions for different countries. Um, and so it becomes a very long process. Um, so I think, um, using our home base to get to a certain first, um, let's say first level, but then, uh, being like a U.S. company, I think it's the right, it's the right move to then in phase two, um, double down um, on the U.S. market, but mm -hmm. I think doing it too early, you know, then you have a lot of complexities with time zones, and U.S. is expensive um, yeah. com com compared to here. And so I don't. I think it would be like if you cannot get to a certain level in your home market, I think mm -hmm. you have another problem. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. uh, expansion is not the right uh, <laughs> solution. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So you're in the near future trying to expand uh, within Europe. So now we've seen that you're trying to hire, you have some uh, position opening. Number one, you need to share what, what kind of roles you have open, what kind of skill set you would need based on experience, based on locations, is it remote or not? Because we've got some recruitment partners that, that can help you find the right talent. So you go and speak about it. Yeah, I think it's mainly two two positions like we're we're looking for um like ML ML ops slash DevOps um engineers. It's kind of a combination of mm -hmm. both into one, which makes it a bit tricky. Um mm -hmm. and the other one is like uh senior JavaScript um, mm -hmm. um developers. Yeah. Um okay. Okay. Mostly for the, for the like for, for 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 that reason, mostly like Europe. Europe based um mm -hmm. also yeah so because we also like you know we're remote but we also like to get the team together once a quarter uh, physically got it and that makes mm -hmm. it just easier um yeah yeah you gotta you gotta need your your team inside your art so whenever you invite quarterly meetings or lunch or get together uh you you have people available they have access great Wonderful. Do you have one advice for people in the industry uh, trying to, you know, kickstart their startup, uh, you know, especially going into the YC? Is it right or not in the first two years? Uh, if yes, why? Just give us a brief recap on your journey and what are the takeaways for, for people listening. I think YC is always a great, you know, a great experience. I think we were quite late. Um, others, you know, barely met each other, um, like a couple of months ago and they're, they're still in undergrad and, uh, um, and they're pivoting their idea on like day one and, uh, spend YC figuring out what they should be doing. And I think it's like, regardless, I think it's, it's always great. And I know also many that that applied multiple times, uh, before getting in. And so I think. I wouldn't wait for the right moment. Um, you just then apply again. Um, and I, I mean, if you could show progress, of course, um, then I think that's, that's also part of the, like part of your, of your story. Um, it's probably like, yeah, try, try something out, but I mean, it's always a balance, right? You sticking with, with it because it, it it's probably always hard regardless. Yeah. Consumer, like if that doesn't, yeah. And then you go to enterprise, you think, oh, enterprise is easier to get revenue, but then it's also super hard because 
every single account is like a grind. Then you think we should do product-led growth, but then that's also hard for, for like other reasons. But if you also realize something is not working, I, th I think like reading the signals correctly, and I think YC really helps to say what are the signals and how, how do you read them? And it's usually very simple. There's like one metric and you focus on that and um, don't find excuses of why, like if your metric is revenue, which is it should be for most companies and that's not moving, don't like go to another metric and say, oh, you know, like, like now we're tracking, I don't know, usage or uh, like something else. Um, and yeah, and, uh, I, I think stick, stick with it, read the signals well. And if you have to make a change, uh, make a change. And I think having like such a program that, yeah, I think it really puts you in the right mindset. Um, but Absolutely. I think you can also, you can also succeed without, I mean, mm, yeah. So because at, in the start, in the beginning, knowing your customer, it's very easy to say, but it's not easy to, you know, basically implement. You need, you really need outside voices and outside noise to get to that point and knowing your customers and making sure you're making the right decision inside the product. And sometimes you, you know, you get the wrong sorts of customers in the beginning. You're handed over to the wrong people. They, they try to drive your products elsewhere. So that's where you got to be very smart to having, having strategic partners like YC. You know, they have people, very smart people and, and you know, specific to industries and categories that can help you get to the right customer and knowing your customers, as you mentioned, knowing your signals. So I really appreciate uh, David for taking the time. It was a real nice conversation with you. I love that you've been so genuine uh, about, about your story and what you want to do uh, with, with this product. Absolutely. It was great talking. Thank you. Thank you, David. Love that. Love that. Thank you so very much for staying with us on the episode. Please share your feedback at adil at hyperengage.io. We definitely need it. Uh, we will see you next time with another guest on the stage with some concrete tips on how to operate better as a customer success leader and how you can empower engagements with some building some meaningful relationships. We qualify people for the episode just to make sure we bring the value to the listeners. Do reach us out if you want to refer any CS leader. Until next time. Goodbye and have a good rest of your day.